the bigger organizations that are operating the large restaurant groups, their margins have improved because their sales are higher and their rent to sales ratio is now lower. So inherently then if rent is a significantly lower portion of their risk exposure for payments, it sounds like it's less risky overall then. It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there, but how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Dave Codre. And today we are the Two Smart Assets. For those not familiar with Dave, he is the co-founder and partner of Greenleaf Capital Partners, where he leads the integration and growth of the investment and operational aspects of a full-service real estate investment firm that is committed to long-term cash flow-driven investing. Dave, my man, it is great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Danny. Appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to the conversation here. Absolutely. You know, we're going to have a great conversation today. We're going to dive into risk, what we're seeing in the market across different uh, different asset classes. Before we do that, though, man, we want to hear more about you. So tell us more about your background, your story, and how you got into real estate. I was real estate. I mean, I've been fascinated by real estate for years, too many years at this point. Uh, but I mean, <laughs> I, got, I, was, I was interested in high school and it's really something I focused on uh, my entire life. And okay. I think like a lot of people getting started out, you don't have like a huge pot of money where you just get to buy anything you want. And uh, I did a lot of the kind of hands-on uh, sweat equity out mm. of the gates. So I did that for a while and, and eventually moved into uh, Atlanta. So I love the Southeast. It's a there great market go. to be in. There you uh, go. Moved down here because a little bit of part of the weather, but there's good real estate opportunities. And, and I've been growing a business down here now for almost 15 years. Wow. Perfect. Yeah. So, so with that being said, you know, you had the sweat equity in and now you've, you know, you've co-founded Greenleaf Partners, Greenleaf Capital Partners. Uh, it's a real, a full service real estate investment firm. Tell us more about your, the focus of your company and uh, basically like your target asset classes, stuff like that. Yeah. So we started out in multifamily and residential housing as a whole. I think, I think that market is phenomenal. You constantly hear about this, how there's still a shortage of housing pretty much everywhere. Uh, sure. So that's a, it's a good space to be in. We've diversified a little. We did some stuff in student housing. We still own a bunch of mobile home communities as well. It's a fairly popular asset class. That's kind of, I think, really gained some traction in the past seven, eight years, really. And then from there, we took, you know, our operational knowledge and our and our footprint. We're Atlanta up to the Carolinas, and we started buying other assets as well that we could operate, which are predominantly one and two story brick buildings. But that's medical office buildings, flex space buildings, office. Uh, and we also have a whole retail division where we're buying single tenant net lease assets. So we've branched out over the years uh, really to take on other opportunities where we thought we could add operational value. That was really what we're focused on. We're looking at like, how can we come into an asset and improve that both physically and operationally? Two very different types of mm. opportunities that exist there. And that's what we've been doing uh, over the years. And we're, we're continuing to look for more ways to do both physical and uh, operational value add plays. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty incredible, right? I, we talked a little bit uh, before hitting record about, you know, kind of really focusing on one asset class and really just becoming an expert in that asset class. Well, you guys have been able to do this across a number of asset classes, right? And I think I think a lot of listeners are thinking like, well, 
you know, how can I do that? Or, you know, what is that going to take? And I mean, I can just tell you right now without you even answering, it's going to take a lot of work, right? And a lot of uh, team building <laughs> and all that stuff, right? But uh, let's dive into that just for a second before we dive into some other stuff. Talk to us about that. How did you guys go from, you know, or how are you able to intelligently um, operate in so many different asset classes? What What is the the secret there? Is it is it a team? Is it, what is that? Yeah. Well, I mean, it all comes down to a team. Once you get beyond the realm of like, this is something that I can just do on my own. At some point, you, know, you maybe it's a few rentals or one apartment building that you could probably do it all on your own. And that's all, all you, everything, and you can handle it. But at some point, you're going to have to hire people. And at some point, you're going to sure. have to have a team. Uh, and if you can't effectively manage that or effectively engage uh, with those team members, things aren't going to work out very well. So that's kind of a, that's kind of like a baseline. And, and all of us can do a very different job on how you uh, manage and interact with the team. Obviously some do better than others do. So that's, that's a big part of it. But I think the other part you have to be able to understand is risk associated with certain investments and opportunities. And you're always comparing like, what is the true opportunity I have here versus the risks that are uh, inherent to what I'm doing. And as you're getting started too, that's, it's, there's a lot of personal risk that goes into that, but then there's also a lot of investment risk. Um, so I think yeah. when we look at asset classes and just understanding, you know, what is the risk in this one, an easy one, multifamily right now, you know, rental rate growth is exceedingly high, even on the assets that we, you know, we still own a good amount of multifamily. We've sold some over the years, but I don't know if rental rate growth is going to be 15, 20% a year forever. At some point, I'm like, maybe that doesn't happen anymore. So that's a risk though. If you're going in and you're banking on, you know, 15, 20% rental rate gains for three, four years, what happens if it's flat? You know, that's a big, that's a big difference. And when I got started in multifamily, we weren't even hoping for, we were like, we just hope that people stay. <laughs> you know, you're in 2009, 2010. It was like, we have people living here. This is a win because our other option was that it was vacant. The, the whole 15, 20% rental rate gain thing was, you know, that's kind of, that's new. That's for sure. So that was yeah. a big risk back then, whether it was occupied or not occupied. And now it's, you know, we're, we're kind of baked in that you're going to get 15% a year, which I don't think is the case in perpetuity. So that's a big risk. That's there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you guys are boots on the ground. I, I actually really like this conversation. I want to take this a little bit further. You know, the last couple of years we've been investing in real estate syndications, right? And depending on what market you're in, you're seeing extraordinary, like you said, extraordinary rent growth. Like, it's got to be unsustainable, right? So you guys got boots on the ground. You guys are acquiring new properties. What are you guys uh, seeing in terms of rent growth or projected rent growth going forward? Or how are you guys, how are you guys handling yeah. that in terms of your underwriting and stuff like that? Yeah, so we haven't bought a new multifamily deal in a few years. So most okay. of our deals that we have purchased, and we own, we've owned stuff for about, our longest deal maybe is like 11 or 12 years right now. 11 years, I think. Gotcha. And we're obviously way past any financial projections we could have put at time when we purchase those deals and what rental rates would be, but we more focus on what our retention rates can be. Gotcha. Because e even if you're going to get huge rental rate turns and you're going to constantly churn the property, you still have a team that has to be able to do that. And for the most part, it's really hard to do where your manpower burnout and your manpower time is just not going to be able to handle turning over a huge amount of units every month, right. every year. You, know, you might be for some short amount of time, but not, not forever. So we're trying to get 70% retention. And what that looks like is uh, seven out of 10 residents renew and we can move our market rates so that they're renewing. Okay, that's great. 
we expect 30% are going to leave either uh, they can go find a, a better apartment or they have to move or they think they can get better service somewhere else, which, you know, those things happen inevitably. Uh, but we're trying to be right around that 70% retention because that's what we can effectively manage as a team. And we're only able to get the revenue gains that we can get having a coherent team that can uh, work together and, and function together. If it's too stressful, they're not going to stay. So, Absolutely. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. No, that, ma that makes I mean, a lot of sense. The past two years, we've had about 12% across our portfolio between Atlanta up into the Carolinas. We're averaging about 12% over two years, which I think is really high. And um, it sounds like inflation is still rocking and rolling. But at some point, I think there's more downward pressure on that rental rate gain than upward pressure. Sure, sure. So how much? So in terms of multifamily, and I get—I know you guys haven't picked up a deal in a few years, but still, you guys are—you guys are—you know know how to operate these properties very well. In terms of in terms of um, the market, right, and how familiar you are with you know down to the city, the town, the street. How much importance do you put on that in terms of basically mitigating risk when you go and say you're looking at deals or looking at properties? Yeah, I, th I think it's really important. So you know we're only really operating up the 85 corridor in. So from Atlanta to Charlotte, Highway 85, that's the main road there. That's like the core okay. of where we're at. So okay. we can drive up and down. We know all the we know all the cities that are in there. And, and I'm sure we could learn and go pick up other cities as well. But we've seen, you know, how those areas operate and we're comfortable there. And there's there's plenty of deals in that space. We don't we don't need to go any further than that. Um, so yeah, it, it's highly important to us that it fits in our footprint. So we have a sense of what we're gonna do there. Yeah, I think that uh, you know a lot of a lot of risk can be mitigated by you know a lot of the stuff that you do up front right is investing thesis your objectives all that kind of stuff right so whether it's you know obviously there's stuff that could happen during the hold period of the deal however long you're you know you have this investment of this property right but depending obviously underwriting uh, again, just your thesis in general about how to pick up properties, your familiarity with the market you're in and stuff like that, you can mitigate a lot of risk by taking care of that up front. And, you know, I think, I think a lot of newer investors may not consider that as well, or like they might not have the experience to recognize all of the potential risks. Right. Yeah. And I think that that could be an issue, but you guys have a lot of experience. So you guys are, I'm sure that's a, a big advantage for you guys at yeah, this point. Even at that point, like every deal we do, we're going to get something wrong. Right. Right. It, it's an happen. You're going to, you're going to miss something in an inspection. You're going to think you could lease something faster or do some kind of improvement project quicker. Like you're going to make some assumptions that are wrong. Even after years of experience, you're still like, man, you're still, still learning and, and making mistakes along the way. You just can't have any one of those mistakes take you out of the game. That's where the big, you know, that's a big issue could be. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, so with that in mind, man. So, you know, we're we're gonna dive into you know how to compare uh, risk across different uh, asset classes. Before we dive into that, though, I got to ask you a whammy. So, you know, obviously, there's a lot of things happening in the in the in the market right now in the economy, right? What do you see as the biggest risk in commercial real estate right now? What What are you seeing? I mean, I I think a lot of people probably yeah. say you know agree it could be one thing or another. Uh, some people might have a different opinion, but I'm curious about what you think. Yeah. I you know, in my space, I, I would say addressing that more towards like the space that I directly function in. So most yeah. of my deals are like the five to $20 million space. So I, I'm dealing hundred percent with community and local banks. So not okay. even, not fully regional banks, but like sure. a smaller localized banks. And they're a huge part of how uh, the deals that I do operate. And a lot of those have personal guarantees. They're normally significantly lower leverage, but these are banks that are operating in that, in your immediate area. 
you know, they're not, my banks aren't necessarily trying to help Oregon, right? right, like, they don't, right. like that's completely, that's an, it might as well be another planet. Sure. So I think one of the, the biggest things impacting is like these, these banks are critical to a lot of the local real estate economies. And, you know, even in the past two weeks, there's been a lot of stress in the banking system and see what does, you know, what does that look like going forwards and how do they kind of weather the storm as they have to mark to mark that the assets that they have on their balance sheets that we're, you know, part of as well. So. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of question marks right now in that in the, in the banking space. So I think you know, but you know, you got you got good relationships with your local lenders and stuff like that. I think that's definitely something you would have you want to have in place. So uh, glad to hear that you guys are you know rocking and rolling, being able to really hone you know in terms of lending who you can operate yeah. with and you have those good partners, right? Because I think that's super important, especially in tough times. But uh, so let's dive into this, man. We want to talk about evaluating risk across multiple asset classes, right? So you guys operate in different asset classes, stuff like that. Uh, and we talked a little bit of, uh, about this before the show, but you know, I think a lot of people, especially passive investors, right? Um, they look at a multifamily deal or self-storage deal, bread and butter. You know, they're probably pretty familiar with that, right? But let's say you know you want to diversify your portfolio. Maybe you're just an active investor as well. But how are you able to recognize risk, or maybe you can give us some examples of risk across different asset classes and basically compare them so you yeah. can actually uh, evaluate risk-adjusted returns or what you can expect, or basically, you know, if you want to move forward with this deal. Yeah, I think uh, looking at deals like a retail deal, for example, you know, we've done a bunch of retail deals over the past few years. And obviously, COVID had some challenges in that on how are you going to operate a, a restaurant, right? But for the most part, they the larger restaurant groups performed very well. Mm. And they came out of these. And I think some of the brands that you see that are out there right now are doing phenomenally well. And they have... Uh, been able to price in a good amount of cost increases that they pass to the consumer. So I gotcha. think it's no, no hidden secret that restaurant prices have gone up. Yeah. When we look at that from an investment standpoint, uh, there's a, a fairly standard rule where you're thinking about seven, 8% of rent to sale ratio for a restaurant. So if a restaurant okay. brings in a hundred dollars, seven or $8 is going towards rent. But all of a sudden, the past two, three years, now restaurant prices are have gone up dramatically. So that that rent to sales ratio has come down. So you're basically having a more stable business now. So it's the bigger organizations that are operating the large restaurant groups, their margins have improved because their sales are higher and their rent to sales ratio is now lower. So inherently, then if rent is a significantly lower portion of their risk exposure for payments. Sounds like it's less risky overall then. So kind of looking at that from a from a basic math standpoint, it's less of a cost for them. So it's probably a lower risk. Yeah. So that's one part that we're looking at. The other part we look at is yeah, supply. I think supply is a is a critical piece. And in real estate, you know, we look at flex deals predominantly where there's really not a lot of supply being added. If if you want to operate a business that requires five to 20,000 square feet, there's like no new space that has been built. Okay. Everything that's been built on the warehouse side, you drive down a highway, you're like, wow, they just built like a million square feet with, yeah. you can't even count how many doors for the trucks line up there. You try and guess, right. you're like, maybe that's 10, there's like a hundred doors, you don't even know. Yeah. So they're building a lot of that, but that's not helpful if you run a HAC company that needs 10,000 square feet. Mm. Can't go take like, hey, I just want two of these doors. doesn't work that way. So we look at flex space, the demand is still there. 
but there's no new supply. So uh, that's a good spot. When we look at just the risk profile of an asset class where there's not a lot of supply and there's continued demand. Uh, and, and demand for service-oriented businesses is just going up and they need that kind of space. So you have demand increase and supply that's kind of stagnant. So we like those two, you know, those are two ways that we look at risk on those assets and see what do we like about these and where can we find an opportunity to invest in that. Yeah, that's great. And it's very interesting. I, we, like I said, we spoke about this a little bit before, but those are two uh, basically asset classes we don't hear much about on the show, right? Flex space and then also um, the other as well, you know, re, just retail in general. But, um, yeah. you know, you mentioned some of the, some of the risk and mitigation and stuff like that. In terms of, in terms of your strategy with those properties, right? Because again, most most of our listeners are familiar with the you know the standard stuff, multifamily, self storage. What does the strategy look like for for those businesses, for those properties, right? Can you can you dive into that a little bit? Just give us a better yeah. understanding. I mean, through and through, we're just we're a cash flow group. We are trying to gotcha. find investment opportunities in real estate that can produce cash flow, and the better that we can do as a business to reduce our tenants' risk. Right, so that tenant might be uh, an individual family. It could be a large institution, like whichever one has lower risk, lower payment risk. And then, how do we create an asset that has less maintenance risk and less ex exposure risk to the location? The better our returns are going to be. And we're just trying to get we're just trying to get cash flow positive with all these all the different plays uh, that we can find in that in that space. So yeah. Fairly similar con the concept is the same in all of them. like just how do we get to cash flow positive and grow that each year with as little risk as possible. Right. Yeah. And I think that's great because really you're you're really recognizing the potential opportunity, right? That's really what it is. You're you're seeing like, okay, there's an opportunity here. How do we how do we jump in and take advantage of that and really position ourselves to kind of be the guys who who do this, you know, success, successfully. Uh and then then you can do that across multiple asset yep. classes, right? And now you have this diversified portfolio. And then in the in the flex space, you know, we have we have a mix of different asset classes. So it's not like, you know, one is completely better than the other one. But in certain locations, in certain, you know, places, one is better than the other one. If you've got a big industrial park, you're not going to go put a restaurant in the middle of that. Like that doesn't sound like a good idea, right? So you've got certain pieces of real estate that are just better suited for what they for what they have there. And the difference, you know, on the flex side, we'll sign leases that are seven years long with four percent annual rental rate escalations. And, and I know some people say like, Hey, inflation is higher that, than that right now, but that's right now. You know, we don't have a full picture over seven years and, and that's a good play where, you know, you can have pretty consistent rental rate gains with fixed debt over a seven year period. We feel like we're in a pretty good, pretty good position there. Yeah. Fantastic. So, you know, I want to dive into something real quick. Many of our listeners are, they're passive investors. They hang out on the LP side. That's just what they prefer. Uh, again, like we spoke about before, I, I also invest on the LP side as well. Um, and I think that, I think that a lot of people are interested in investing in a diversified portfolio, especially on the passive side, right? They can really get into different asset classes, different financing. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole, you know, list of ways you can diversify even just within passive real estate syndication investing, right? There's, it's really more than yep. most people would think, but um, do you have any tips or suggestions for those LP investors who are looking to improve their risk assessment process when evaluating opportunities across those multiple asset classes, whether it's, whether it's retail or mobile home parks or multifamily or, or flex or whatever, because uh, they might not have like a, a great understanding of all those. They might understand apartments, but they might not really understand flex. Do you have any sort of tips you could give for yeah. our LP, LP listeners? 
Yeah, two definite things. First one, you know, you you have to know who you're partnering with. You mm-hmm. have to know how they operate, and you have to know that their value system aligns with your value system. Uh, everyone has a different viewpoint on that, so you got to make sure that whoever it is you're partnering with that you have the same value system on how they're going to make decisions. Uh, ultimately, the outcome five, ten years from now will be much better because of that. And then I I think on the financial side, you you got to be able to write down your assumptions and and you got to be able to believe them. So mm-hmm. if you're looking at numbers and you're like this, you know, you got to trust your gut and make sure you actually believe that those numbers remove yourself from the picture. Like, do those numbers make sense going at that same rental rate escalation for five mm-hmm. or 10 years? Like, does this double the valuation make sense in underwriting? It's like, just be more conservative and honest with yourself, whether you really believe these things. Don't just be like, well, so-and-so said it, so it must be true. Like, <laughs> Now, investing comes back to you. You got to make sure that you believe these numbers and and uh, and you can verify them to yourself. So, I would say those two parts uh, help significantly when you're looking at LP investments and where you want to place your ultimately hard-earned money that uh, you are entrusting to someone else to steward for you. I, I totally agree about the uh, both points. Really, uh, the you know. Having that trust and that relationship, building that is super critical, right? Because if you, as soon as you place your capital, it's in there, right? And you want to make sure you're with somebody that you trust and you're aligned with and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, that you enjoy their communication, right? Because, uh, I mean, those are all big things, right? As soon as you're in a deal, you might be stuck with those partners for three to 10 years or whatever, right? And so that's a, that's a long, re- yeah. it's a long relationship. So that's definitely something you want to pay attention to. And I also love the point about, um, you know, understanding, you don't just blindly investing. And I think that a, a lot of times some people get caught up in the, you know, not asking enough questions, right? Just, if you have a question, just ask, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you don't want to be, uh, obviously you, you want to, you know, think about these intelligently at the same time. But, um, you know, like you said, ask questions. If you have, if something doesn't make sense, ask a question because you don't want to ask that question, ask you after you've already invested your hard earned dollars and then be like, Oh, I don't like that answer. You know, <laughs> something like that. So yeah, you don't want to do that part. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that's massive. And uh, so I love those points, but um, all right. So one more question before we get out of here, uh, Dave, um, you know, 2023, we just got into it next six, to 12 months. What are some of your ob- objectives and how do you see the commercial real estate landscape moving forward from here? I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities that come up, but I also firmly believe that in any market you're in, in any point of the cycle, that there's always an opportunity. Sure. Sometimes they just take a lot, a lot more work to go figure out uh, what they are. So it's more not to get discouraged, like, oh, I can't find the perfect thing right now. I'm not sure what the overall economic environment is. I mean, none of us are have a crystal ball, but right. I know for a fact, there's good deals out there. They're going to take a hard work to go dig up and find. And, and, uh, I'm optimistic that my organization and, and I were able to find those. So when I look out of the next six to 12 months, it's like, I expect it to be harder to go find opportunities, but I, I, I know they're out there. So, uh, we're going to find good stuff. And one of the things we've, we've been looking at office space because I think right. it's had such a negative connotation over the past three years. It's like, okay, probably some, probably some opportunities where it's been negative enough that it's time to act. Absolutely, man. And I really appreciate the fact that you guys are, you know, putting yourself in a position to recognize that stuff. You got the team, you got the, you know, the, the company and you have the mindset, like, listen, we're, we're looking for opportunities. So 
where could that possibly be, right? And where is that going to land? And you're going to go out and you're going to grab that. And that's just one of those things as a passive investor, for me personally, right? Um, you have experience in different asset classes. You're able to go use your experience and grab up those deals because we want to be a part of those too, right? On the LP side. Yes. So <laughs> I think that, uh, yeah, I think that's uh, that's great, man. We're definitely going to be following, following you guys uh, along your journey. But uh, yeah, man, this has been great. Uh, before we get out of here though, tell the listeners how they can find out more about your company, um, how they can contact you and anything else you have yeah. going on. Yeah, I mean, our website is greenleafmgmt.com or Greenleaf Management. It's, uh, we have all of our deals that go up there. So pretty pretty open and sharing how we perform in our, in our assets and what we're doing. So you have that there, or you can find me on LinkedIn at Dave Codre. Awesome. Now we're going to make sure to put that in the show notes. Dave, this has been an awesome conversation, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Yeah, certainly enjoy the conversation, Danny. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Hey, real quick before we get out of here, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for the podcast. We're always looking to bring you guys the best insights and strategies for building our real estate portfolios and your ratings and reviews really help with getting top guest speakers that are the best in the real estate investing business. I promise this will only take you a few seconds and I'd really appreciate it. Thanks for being awesome, guys. Cheers.